Man, you may be seated. Yes, let's thank the worship team, amen? Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning to the presence of our Lord. It's amazing we're halfway done with the semester. Incredible, right? How fast time has flown. And my prayer for each of you is that God has blessed you in deep, profound ways and protects you and blesses you as we finish out the semester together. We have a number of special guests with us this morning. We have Grandparents Day. Grandparents, if you're here, would you please stand? You probably did not want to do that, but that's okay. Please stand so we can honor you and thank you. Thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you, grandparents, for coming. Each of you play very important, special roles in the lives of your grandchildren or of your families. Thank you for your love for them and commitment to them and for being here with us this morning. We pray that it's a special and blessed day as you minister and are minister too throughout this day. Students, faculty, staff, it is wonderful to be with you this morning to continue this theme of Christ, our greatest friend. And I want to do a little bit of review from the last time I spoke, so I'll be speaking this Wednesday and Lord willing next Wednesday, to continue this theme and to in some ways sort of exegete it, open it up a little bit for us. As you may remember, many, many weeks ago when we spoke about Christ our greatest friend, we began with this scripture and I want to remind ourselves of this and we have been reminded of this scripture in the last few weeks and we'll continue to be reminded throughout the year. It's a powerful, beautiful scripture and we'll spend more time in this later on in the semester as well. But let's say it together. Please join me in, in saying, sharing the scripture together. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, thank you for this place, this beautiful university, this beautiful chapel, and the opportunity we have to spend time together coming to you, together singing about you, O Lord, together thinking about your word. And Father, we come together as a group of believers in community, Lord, in humility, seeking your help. We need you, Lord. We need your wisdom, your strength, your guidance. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts our wills, our minds to love you and to follow you with all of our being. Father, I pray for each of the students here this morning. Strengthen them as they finish out the rest of the semester. Give them wisdom and protection and strength and fortitude and perseverance and favor in all that they do for you. For our faculty and staff, I pray for them as well, Lord, that you would strengthen them in their leadership and service for you in this university to our students and to one another. Bless them and grant them favor and strength as well. And Father, thank you for the grandparents who are here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the important place they have in the lives of their students here, their grandchildren, their families. We ask that you would give them an extra measure of favor and grace this morning. Thank you for them being here with us. Now we commit ourselves to you, Lord, our time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you may remember, we began weeks ago and I introduced this 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 reality of a crisis of loneliness in our country. And I shared with you that the Surgeon General issued a report this year entitled Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation, a report in which he cited that one out of every two Americans considers himself or herself to be lonely. 
And if you may, may remember the quote of one of these individuals in the report who said, quote, if I were to be gone tomorrow, I don't think anyone would even notice. Sad, yes? And he argues, again, 50%, he claims. He traveled throughout the country. I sort of digested this way. Imagine if this is true, could we extrapolate it to Cornerstone and say half of us are involved right now in a crisis of loneliness? Significant, yes? And this crisis of loneliness we talked about, it affects everyone, males and females. Primarily the younger are more lonely today than the older. It disproportionately affects minorities. But in general, it cuts across every social sector in our country. Everyone seems to be experiencing bouts of loneliness, and some are in a crisis mode of loneliness. No one to talk with, unknown, unvisited, alone. We also spoke about, about a friendship recession. For the last few decades, research suggests students, faculty, and staff that more and more Americans are having less and less close friends. We're receding from friendship. We're pulling back from it. And I shared this, this um, oh, the slides are out of order, John. Well, we can talk about this one, though. <laughs> No, we're, we're way out of order. That's okay. Well, let me see. And we spoke, I, it's the slides not here, uh, I'm sorry, but the slides showed that for the last several decades, individuals have cut back on close friendships. That the percentage of Americans today that have a close, a best friend is significantly less than it was decades ago, years ago. And it made me wonder, how many, is, is it true in my life? Am I receding as well? And why is it that we're all receding from friendships and having close friendships? I shared this book with you, and I titled the title of this book in this quote, Sherry Turkle, highly recommended. And she looks at the impact of technology on friendships. And she argues that in a more connected world like today, a significantly more connected world, where social media, upwards of 80% of Americans are on social media, and the younger groups, high school and young adults, say they're always in social media 24-7. In a more connected world, she says, we're more disconnected than ever, have less relationships than ever. She says, quote, digital connections offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our network lives allow us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. We'd rather text than talk. And we spoke about this crisis of loneliness, this fragmentation, this being alone, and the fact that we have lots of friends online. Think about it. Lots of people we would consider to be friends online, yes? Facebook friends, whatever friends we want. We, have, we measure that through that, and yet she argues, and the data seems to show, that we're more lonely than ever, more disconnected than ever, even though we're more socially media connected. And I want to spend some time this morning thinking about this, this part of the quote, the demands of friendship. I have to confess to you that I think friendship is hard. It's not, that e it's not easy. 
Friendship is hard. It's beautiful, but it's hard. And I appreciate how she puts it, the demands of friendship. We can change the word from demands to beautiful opportunity, the wonder of friendship. But those are reality, then friendship requires certain things of us, don't you think? That to have friends and to be friends requires that we do certain things. And I want to ask us to think together with me this morning about the demands of friendship. What are they? We'll have only time to cover really one, and the other two we'll cover next week. The demands of friendship. I, have, I agree there are three core demands, so we'll spend time on this first one, but I'll mention all of them. First, knowing another and being known by another. I think at the core of friendship, students, at the core of friendship is our willingness to know others and allow ourselves to be known by them. I don't think it's very comfortable, do you? It's somewhat uncomfortable. It's actually somewhat risky, don't you think? I remember when my wife and I were dating, a student at Cedarville College, now Cedarville University. I met her January, second week of January of 1991. I asked her to marry me the second week of March of 1991. Yes, it was short. Right? I only had so much time. And I remember going on a walk in February with my wife, my then girlfriend, Ellen. And I told myself on this walk down State Route 72 in Cedarville, this little town of Cedarville, I told myself, I need to tell her who I really am. I need to tell her what I'm really like. And if she accepts me this way, then I know that I know that this person's for me. I was terrified. I committed myself to tell her the good, the bad, and the ugly about me. I want her to know, here's who I am. Here's what I've been through. Here are the sins that have tackled me in my life. I committed myself to letting her know me and being open to being known by her. Was that risky? Oh yeah, I thought she was gonna, immediately I thought she's gonna say, no, I'm done, I'm out of here. I was terrified. But I thought, if we're gonna start this relationship, you need to know who I am. So I believe that knowing another person deeply and having them known by you is one of the most important prerequisites of friendship. And I want to ask you, all of us this morning, to assess our friendships with this first category. The individuals that we consider to be our friends or that we believe we are their friends, where are we in this category of knowing and being known? You know, one of the dangerous things about online, the online world today and the web world, you know what it is? That we can create false versions of ourselves. Yes? We can create false profiles of ourselves. We can market ourselves in different ways and hide who we really are and lead others to think that we're someone we really are not. And we lie to them, and they believe a lie about us. I've been coaching and mentoring an individual who's been going through this 
And I decided to go yesterday to give him a call and say, let's go for a walk together. He's been dealing with this issue of, do I really want people to know me? Yeah, I remember in the middle of my walk, I said to this person, talk to me about reality and social media in your life. What's going on? And here's what he said, exact quotes. He said, you know what happened to me the last few months? All the consequences that came in my life, you know what it was, Dr. Marino? It was a giant brick named reality hit me in the head. I realized I had been living a false self for a long, long time. I was grateful he said this. I was grateful because I realized, okay, he's getting to understand reality. We have to be true. We have to be people of integrity. I think friendship has to start with knowledge. We're willing to know others and we're willing to let ourselves be known by them. If we don't start here, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have friendship. We have something else, but not friendship. Second, I think the other, and I think all of these things work together. Second, doing good for another and only receiving good from another. I think friendship requires us to always do good for others, to always do what is truly good, capital G, for our friends. If you have a friend or someone you consider to be a friend and he or she is doing evil to you, that's not a friend. If they're enticing you to do evil, that's not a friend. Just say, that's not a friend. <laughs> Remember the scripture in Proverbs chapter one, when Solomon writes to his son, Proverbs 1, 10 or 11, my son, if sinners entice you, consent thou not. If people who are evil or sinful are tempting you to do wrong and to say, come along with us and do X or Y or Z, say no. That's not friendship, right? Friendship requires us, you and I, to be good, to do good for our friends. And it also requires our openness to receiving the good they do for us. That's hard too. It requires a great deal of humility to accept the good work and activity of someone for us. But real friendship requires not just knowing one another really well, knowing our humanity, our frailties, our dreams, our failings, knowing one another deeply, but also doing good for each other in profound ways. And third, I think the third criteria of friendship, the third demand, actively sacrificing ourselves for our friends and actively receiving their sacrifices for us. That, these are high demands, don't you think? Actively sacrificing ourselves for our friends. Sometimes, if we're real friends, we're willing to get into the mud to pull somebody out. Friendship is hard. Sometimes our friend may go off track. Sometimes we may go off track and thank God for a friend, yes, who is willing to go over there wherever we are and say, get over here and pulls me out of there. That's friendship. That's hard work. It's much easier to say, I'll pray for you. Yes? You're, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Nothing wrong with saying that, by the way. 
But real friendship means I know you and I let myself be known by you. I'm gonna do good for you always. Please do good to me always. And I'm willing to sacrifice for you, for your good. And I'm open to receiving your sacrifice for me. As I thought about this, I thought, Lord, is there a passage in scripture that encapsulates these three criteria of friendship? And I think it's in Genesis chapter four. We're not gonna turn here, we don't have it on the slide, but I think it's in Genesis chapter four. When Cain murders his brother, and the Lord asks him, Cain, where is your brother? Do you remember what Cain responds? What does he say? Am I my brother's keeper? That word keeper in the Hebrew literally means someone who watches out for somebody else. That's what the word means. Someone who's watching out for the other. Someone who's preserving the other, protecting the other, defending the other, on the lookout for the other. And Cain literally rejects the idea to God, directly to God, rejects the idea that I have any friendship responsibility for my brother. Almost suggesting it's unfair of you, God, to ask me this question. I bear no responsibility for who he is. He's an individual. He makes his own choices. It's up to him. It's literally what he's saying. Am I my keep? Am I really the keeper of my brother? What's the answer? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. You should be watching out for your brother. You should be guarding him. You should be protecting him. You should be defending him. Students, that is the essence of friendship. A real friend is a keeper of the other. A true friend is a guard of the other. I would often tell my kids this, and some of them really loved it and some hated it. And I would say, if you see your brother and sister doing something wrong, you better tell them. And then my daughters all took it up. I mean, they were just on the brothers, right? <laughs> I mean, they were like, Papa, and they hit the list. My sons, on the other hand, didn't like the idea. <laughs> but I shared with them, if you see your brother failing, falling, doing something wrong, you've got to help him. You've got to get help to him or her and vice versa. How many of us today think this way about our friends, about one another? How many of us see one of our brothers, friends in need, maybe going off track, and we do nothing? We do nothing. Maybe we don't know what to do. Maybe we don't know how to handle it. Maybe we say, you know what? It's his life, not mine. It's her life, not mine. Let her make her own choices. That's not the biblical model of friendship. Because the biblical model of friendship means I know you and your humanity and you know me. And I'm committed to doing good for you, not evil. And I'm committed to sacrificing actively my own life to bless and help you. Maybe this is why there's a friendship recession because we don't want to do this. Maybe somewhere deep in our minds and hearts, we know, we know, 
and we say that's way too much. <laughs> it's just easier to do the texting and the social media friending than to do this kind of stuff. This is hard work, yes? Or no? And I confess to you that there are many examples in my life where I've done really well on this and I have also failed in this. The model of Jesus, you will see in the weeks ahead, he fulfills all of these things perfectly. So I want to start just with the first one. Knowing another and being known by another. And to share in scripture where God and Christ speaks this way about us and our expectations or the expectations he has of us toward him in terms of knowing and being known. For scripture on the knowing part. Here's how God speaks about knowing us. And part of what I want to share with you, students, faculty, staff, grandparents, is that Jesus and God meet the demands of friendship perfectly. And because of that, Christ truly is our greatest and bestest friend. Not a word, but you know what it means. And thus, we have the opportunity, the blessing, the privilege to have truly the greatest friend on our side who has fulfilled all these things. But we have a responsibility as well, yes? To act accordingly. So here we go. God and knowing us. I think we can all say, well, God is omniscient. He knows everything. Yes. But let that sink in our hearts and minds this morning in terms of us. For scripture, the most incredible one, Psalm 139, we'll get to it eventually. But think about Exodus 33, 17, where God speaks to Moses and says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. There's a kind of a negotiation, a request here with God and Moses. And the Lord says, this thing you've asked me for, I'm going to do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. The idea that somehow God doesn't know us intimately, we need to banish it from our mind. The idea out there in the world that somehow God's distant and far removed from us, we need to banish it from our mind. God knows us intimately and intricately. And in the future, we'll talk about Abraham and Moses. Um, these are the only two individuals in Scripture, by the way, that are talked to in terms of being friends directly with God. You know that? Abraham and Moses. But here the Lord tells Moses, I know you by name. I know you... Names in the Old Testament mean a lot, yes? They all have profound, deep meanings. And the Lord says to Moses, I know you and I know your name. I know you intimately and personally, Moses. You have favor with me. Jeremiah, God calls Jeremiah to be the prophet of all the nations. Jeremiah has some hard truths to deliver. Yes? If you don't believe me, read the book of Jeremiah. <laughs> and book of Lamentations. Hard truths to deliver. God calls him and God says this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's powerful, isn't it? You're not just a blob of cells in the womb. I knew you. Before you were even born, I consecrated you. I set you apart for something special. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
Now, we may say, well, that's Moses and that's Jeremiah. What about me? Um, let's look at Psalm 139, which I believe applies to every single human being. Please spend time there and want Psalm 139 when you can. It is the most beautiful telling of God knowing us. And just a few verses for us to consider together. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows us better than, ourself, than we know ourselves. Would you agree? He does. You've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. In other words, you know my schedule, Lord. You discern my thoughts from afar. You can tell what I'm thinking from a long distance. You search out my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. David proclaims, Lord, you know me so well in such a profound, intimate, intricate way that it literally is beyond my grasp. That's how well God knows us. And can I add one more part to this? And that's, and he loves us, knowing us. Isn't that beautiful? I asked my son Sunday school, uh, Sunday evening, went to church. We go to Frontline Community Church, and he goes to youth group on Sunday nights. And when we picked him up, I asked him, so what did you all talk about tonight? He said, we talked about rejection. I said, really? Yeah, we were asked if we'd ever been rejected, and everyone raised their hand. <laughs> How many of us have ever faced rejection in this room? You show of hands. To reject someone is to say what? I don't want to know you, or now that I do know you, I don't want to know you. Isn't that what that is? And even more than that, not only do I don't want to know you, I am not going to extend my love to you. That's serious stuff. God knows you and I are sitting, are walking, are thinking, are speaking, and he chooses to put his love on us. Isn't that beautiful? Profound friendship. Or John 10, 10, Jesus Christ speaking, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus knows the sheep, yes? He knows who belongs to him and who doesn't. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life of the sheep, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. God meets this requirement of friendship because he knows us. He knows everything about us. Intimately and deeply, and as I shared he loves us. And if we were to add the other two characteristics of friendship, he always does good for us and is sacrificed for us. Perfectly so. What about being known by another? What does the scripture say to us about God's desire to be known? In what ways that God desires to be known by us? 
You know, the word, you know this word, devotions, yes? You've heard this word? I've heard this word since I was, I can't even remember. <laughs> have your devotions. Have your devotions. Have you had your devotions this morning? I need to have my devotion time. What is it that we do when we have devotions? I think at the core is we're trying to get to know God, yes? And we want God to know us. So what does the scripture say about being known? God's command directives about him being known by us. Three scriptures. Jeremiah 9, John 14, and 1 John 5. There are many others here, three for this morning. I think Jeremiah 9 is profound. Here the Lord speaks to his people of Israel. I believe he speaks to us this way as well and says the following thing. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom nor the strong man in his strength nor the wealthy man in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this. And here it is, that he understands and knows me. That's profound, isn't it? It's the Lord saying, if you're going to brag about anything, <laughs> right? The only thing I, you can brag about is that you know me and you understand me. None of us can brag, ever. But his desire to be understood, to be known, that I am the Lord who exercises loving devotion, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Let's look at John 14. John, Jesus chides one of his disciples in speaking and says this to him, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? I've been with you, Philip, for months. I've talked with you, shared with you, you've seen me, and you still don't know me? Do you know that it's possible, students, faculty, and staff, to say we're Christians, to go to church all the time, to be involved in religious activities, in chapel, all these things, and still not really know Jesus? That's a scary thought, isn't it? It's a scary thought to say that, to live this way. And here, Jesus, with his closest one, yes? By the way, there was no social media back then. No distractions like phones. Phil's with him all the time, and Jesus says, you don't know me still. Why not, Philip? Jesus gives us the opportunity to know him. He's open books with us. First John 5.20, beautiful scripture. John writes again, and we know that the Son of God has come. Jesus, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Jesus gives us the opportunity, students, to know him. He wants to be known. He knows us and wants to be known by us. That to me is a first primordial requirement of friendship. So I want to ask us this morning as we hear close here in a few moments to think about our friendship with one another and the friendship we claim we have with the Lord. Imagine what a terrible thing, my wife and I were speaking about this this morning, what a terrible thing it would be for us to know this and to say we do not want friendship with Jesus. We do not want to know him. God forbid. And what a beautiful opportunity we have, yes, to know him. He's an open book. In the scripture that some was a little, you know, uh, confused here in the slide set, Revelations chapter three, we closed with that scripture last time. Jesus saying, I behold, I stand at the door and 
knock. If anyone will open the door, I will enter and sit down and have a meal with you as a friend. Students, faculty, staff, Jesus meets every requirement for friendship. He knows us and wants to be known by us. But the demand of friendship also means you and I have to then be willing to let ourselves be known. Jesus already knows, but there's something transformationally powerful when we come to Jesus and say, Lord, I know you know me, but here I am. I know you know me, Lord. I know you know my journey. I know you know my struggles, my failings, my successes, my dreams. I know, Lord, but here I am. I'm bringing them to you. David does this all the time in the scriptures, yes? We read Psalm 19 this morning. Psalm 139, he closes Psalm 139 by saying, search me, O Lord. Lord, know me, here I am. That's a requirement of friendship. For you and I to have really good friends with one another, we have to be willing to desire to know that person and to be known by that person. This is why it's so terrible when we reject people because in the blank. They're poor. Maybe they don't have the skin color we think they should have. Or they speak differently than we speak. Or they're running the wrong denomination. Fill in the blank. That's why it's so terrible to do that, yes? Because God made us in his image. We're all human beings made in his image. And dignity from God requires our willingness to know others and to be known by them. As we close, I'd like to ask the worship band to please join us again. I want to close with this wonderful benediction song that we always sing. But let's stand in preparation for this. But think about what it says here. May we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Amen? So students, let's sing with all our hearts to the Lord as we open our hearts to him knowing us and us knowing him.